following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Jesus, I come to this broadcast today 
broken and humble, dissatisfied, dissatisfied and unhappy with the state of the church and with the state of my own heart. Lord, I know that what I see in both my own heart and in the church is not what you want for us. When I look at the scripture, I see the way your Holy Spirit came in power. And today we don't experience that in America. Oh, in a few places, once in a while, we have. <coughs> Pardon me. But Lord, we're, we're almost entirely devoid of your Holy Spirit for power for the work of the gospel. And so we've settled on this lie that conversion is a very slow, long process filled with lots of principles and and continue to sin. Lord, forgive me and forgive us. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit anointing for power to proclaim your word to this lost nation of America, to lift up a standard of righteousness in this nation. And only by your Holy Spirit can we do this. Lord, would you come in power today and quicken this word? Lord, some today are backslidden, cold, lukewarm, Some are not even Christian, but just perhaps religious. But there are a few who are searching after your Holy Spirit and crying aloud to you, not for manifestations, not for signs and wonders, but for conviction of sin, first in their own heart and then in the life of the church and then in the life of the nation. Lord, I'm I'm not content to continue in this manner. We need your Holy Spirit. And you said you were more willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask than a father is willing to give bread to his child. So the problem is not on your side. The problem is on my side, our side. So, Lord, would you come today? Would you move among us? Would you call us out of the darkness into the light? Lord, if you do not come, America will perish. It will burn. It will be destroyed. Your judgments are are fast approaching, already being poured out as... We are a nation being given over to every kind of sick and weird sin, lifting up and honoring things that are abhorrent to you. Lord, would you come? 
in power. Would you come, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit? I pray in your holy name. Amen. I was raised in a small country church, about a hundred people. As a child, I felt very dissatisfied with church. I would ask my father on the way home from church, Daddy, is this the way church is supposed to be? Everyone seems so cold. The prayers are the same. Every time I hear these people pray, they always say the same things. Daddy, I've memorized all their prayers. I could say their prayers for them. Their testimonies are always the same, Daddy. Why Why don't they have anything about Jesus? Why do they just say the same thing every time in the testimony meeting? And my dad would say, Raymond, be patient. The Holy Spirit has to come. But he never came. And those people all died off and a new generation came and they continued practicing the same thing. And now I've been a pastor for many, many years and I see the same thing. I come and I, I'll share with you the radio broadcast, but where's the Holy Spirit to convict you to repent right now of your sin? Where's the Holy Spirit to come and remove self-righteousness and hardness of heart? slowness of spirit where is the beating pulse of divine love where's the holy spirit i'm very troubled by this i hope you're troubled by this we have to have the holy spirit i shared with you the story of the ten virgins, but I want to read it for you again, and then I want to ask, there seem to be five foolish and five wise, but today it seems there are more like ten foolish and none wise. We've slipped into a, a kind of Christian faith that just doesn't honor Jesus in America. It's all hype and entertainment. It's all about me and mine. But let me read the parable. It's in Matthew, the 25th chapter. It's after Jesus has described what's going to happen in the end day. He says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. I want to stop a minute. That's a promise that that half of the church is going to wake up. I want to be a part of the half that wakes up. Don't you? The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. If you read in Revelation... The angels want to bring about the final climax. And the Lord puts out his hand and says, Wait. Wait. He doesn't want any to be lost. He wants all men to come to salvation. 
Verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. It's that midnight cry that excites such passion in my heart for the coming of the Holy Spirit to be ready when the midnight cry goes forth to meet the bridegroom, to meet Jesus. Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps and the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There's, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. There are symptoms that we need to describe with some painful thoughtfulness about how the spiritual life begins to decline and the pulse of holy love begins to beat more and more slowly when the zeal begins to cool in the heart there are certain symptoms that begin to show up in the life that are harbingers of this death. These five foolish virgins, they had that waning of holy love. They were greatly inclined to easy things and to shrink from mortification and hardship. They did not want to be humbled and go buy oil. There was a, a leaning in their heart toward things that are well-cushioned, that are soothing. And when trials or severe crosses had to be met, they were not outspoken necessarily in rebellion all the time, but their spirit whimpered. There was a childish whine in their spirit, a a conscious shrinking back from heroic endurance. It's too hard. I'm too sick. I can't do this anymore. I... You see, the soul wants to be patient. All of us want more patience. But we don't want to suffer anything. The soul wants to be gentle without being snubbed or contradicted offended. Don't say anything to me. Don't do anything that's going to offend me or I'm going to leave. The spirit wants to be lowly without having its beautiful honor and integrity called into question. It wants all the virtues without any homely self-abasement. Don't, don't humble me. Don't shame me. The soul wants to be a real saint. Those five foolish virgins were out there with the five wise, and they had lamps, and there was oil, and they wanted to be real waiters upon Jesus. They wanted to be real virgins with a lamp burning. 
but they didn't want to take any trouble to go buy additional oil and make provision. This foolish version was inclined to self-preservation. These foolish virgins wanted to serve God cautiously for fear of compromising itself along some line and being embarrassed. Yet leaned to the advice of friends who were not red hot for Jesus Christ. Decay, spiritual decay, had struck at the center of their soul. It's very, very plain, very obvious. This heart wandering from God is almost imperceptible at first. There is a a slow degree of the leakage of grace. It is almost imperceptible. There are inroads of temptation. One of the first signs of this is confusion. I don't know what to do. What do I do? I can't do this. I'm confused. Where do I go? What do I think? Confusion always comes from the devil, and it's always a sign that I have walked away from the hard humiliation of the narrow path with Jesus Christ. There is always an a quick way to resolve confusion. It's in the prayer closet where we begin to confess that we've gotten off the path. It's in the prayer closet where we begin to cry out and see the priorities of Jesus rather than our own interpretations. It's when we stop looking for the soft silent ways it's when we're willing to be bold and stand though the heavens fall as the grace leaks out of our heart and we become increasingly religious with no fervor in our soul when we are offended and when judgments begin to form in our hearts against a brother or a sister. When we begin to be independent, the soul is well nigh captured. Then spiritual laziness begins to come in, and it begins to tone down our self-sacrifice it begins to cause imperceptible backsliding from God. Now, one of the major causes of this backsliding is called self-management. Attempting to take our affairs, our Christian life, into our own hands and make our own judgments. We begin trying to help the Lord in his province. We begin to 
look at time and trouble, distress. We begin to be preoccupied. And as the Lord then begins to lead us through crisis of our of our life, of our soul, in our in our social life, in our in our business life, in our in our church life, in health. And many of these crises cannot be avoided. They are part of the very nature of things in this world. And when they come, our human spirits are so eager for the speedy and premature result that we take an unlawful deliverance. We begin to think that God has deserted us, that he's left us, that he's forgotten us, that he's too slow. We're offended by someone. And so we begin to take our affairs in our own hands and confusion begins to result. It's so easy for even a spiritual man or woman to get the impression that they must manage the work of God, that they are somehow responsible and spiritual power is lost in the attempt to manage the kingdom of God. Self-management. This is the starting point of the decline of the ardent love for Jesus. I was up very early this morning in the presence of the Lord, and I was crying out to him over this issue of the Holy Spirit. And I was saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. I was saying, Jesus, I need you. And I began to look at my future. Right now, I could begin to have very serious doubts about the advisability of continuing to try to do radio. Last month, we barely, just barely, were able to pay for the radio broadcast. At the end of the month, we were still $800 short, and if one dear brother had not stepped forward and donated the full amount, we would not be on the air this month. And so part of my questioning before the Lord was, should I continue radio or should I go off air? How can I continue? Last month, it took three days of offertory. That's a very expensive use of time. He said, Jesus, how, how can I do that? Am I finished on the air? Should I stop? And then I, I went ahead and I began to ask Jesus, what about the National Prayer Chapel? What should I do about it? We've never had very many people come. 
It's a very small congregation. What should I do about it? I'm about to have a birthday. And that birthday is a birthday when most men are retired. Should I just retire and wrap it up and say I've done my best, but I can't go any further? What do I do? I looked at my personal finances, a very old 1996 Toyota Corolla or Toyota Camry. I don't own a home. Should I begin to make plans to somehow establish a business and begin to put money away for a retirement for myself? I have no money for retirement. I gave everything I had to the gospel. So I just brought all of this before the Lord this morning. And then finally I said, Lord, I don't have Holy Spirit power. Not like Pentecost, not like Cornelius. Now I'm hoping as I share this with you, you're hearing a little bit of a whine in my voice. And that was very offensive to God. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. He said, haven't I carried the radio broadcast every month? (laughs) Yes, Lord, you have. Haven't I sent my Holy Spirit to touch lives every day? Yes, Lord, you have. Haven't I led the National Prayer Chapel? Haven't I told you that it would be born in a day and it would not grow gradually as other churches? Yes, Lord, you did tell me that. Didn't your pastor, Pastor David Wilkerson, tell you that you would come to the death of your dream? the death of your vision? And didn't he tell you not to quit when things got their very darkest? Didn't he tell you that I always come when everything gets the darkest? Yes, Lord, he did tell me that. Didn't I tell you I would never leave you or forsake you? And haven't I carried you personally with the car you have? I gave it to you. Haven't I carried you financially? Didn't you make a covenant with me that you would receive from my hand only that which I would give you? Yes, Lord. That is the covenant I made with you. So what is this nonsense about going out and trying to start a business? I'm sorry, Lord. I was wrong. I humble my heart before you. The Lord was very kind, but he was very stern. And I took a stand. Lord, I will trust you. But Lord, now what about your Holy Spirit? 
He answered, Didn't I promise you revival? Yes, Lord, you did. Then continue to stand and pray and let me bring it about in my way. Yes, Lord, I will. Now, let's be very clear with one another. I am totally dissatisfied with the current level of spirituality in my own life. And I am totally in disagreement with the life of the modern American church. It's foolishness to me. Am I willing that the Lord should cause me to make decisions that will cause people to say, Pastor, you're weird? You're crazy? You're foolish? What are you doing? You're going to embarrass yourself and and you're going to ruin your legacy. Does that matter? According to the Lord, that doesn't matter. The Lord is not about building a legacy for me. Are you are you kidding me? He's about his kingdom. He's about establishing his royal authority over the face of the earth. He's about a standard of righteousness being lifted up in America. He's about calling this nation to repent. To turn right now from your sin. And if you're backslidden, he's right now saying, repent for backsliding and do again the first works. Repent. Turn aside from your sin. Search after Jesus. Seek his face. And those of you who walk consistently in Jesus Christ, he's saying, do not be self-satisfied. Come in deeper. Be holy because I'm holy, and no man will see me without holiness. There's no room for self-satisfaction, either in the the pagan, the half-converted, or the non-converted, or the saint. In America, there's no room for self-congratulation. There's no room for laying back and sleeping. It's time to wake up. The bridegroom is coming. The call is going forth. We have barely enough time to rush out and get the oil of the Holy Spirit in righteousness. The Holy Spirit is all about righteousness, and it's all imparted to us. All righteousness comes only as a free gift from the throne of grace. It is not something we do for ourselves. It is a repentance, a turning from the world. It is confessing our wickedness before God and asking that he would come and make us righteous before his throne, giving us the oil that he would know us in the great day of judgment and not cast us out. One of the signs of a person who has 
stilled the ardent heartbeat of love in their heart. A sign that a person is slipping and they have lost grace and they have fallen into spiritual bondage through having a harsh spirit. Severe judgment of others has been called the undergraduate sin that is liable to be committed by first the young and zealous people who come to Jesus. The greatest temptation they're going to face is denouncing others. But it's also for the narrow-hearted saint who has become hardened in their pride and in their judgment. The denunciation of others has in it a large element of self-righteousness. Denunciation of others is a backhanded way of praising ourselves in the same proportion that we think we knock others down we think we're raising ourselves up and that may be unconscious but it is the other side of the coin of condemning and judging someone on the facts you have that probably are not facts at all it's been very interesting to me that when People have condemned me, and I have gotten letters condemning me, judging me. But they do so without ever speaking with me, and they do so without ever discovering what the true facts of the situation really are. But they feel so so justified in their anger and in their harshness and in their cutting off. Always this reflects self-righteousness. And it's a backhanded way of, of saying we're righteous. And so as we knock others down, we, we somehow think we're lifting ourselves up and we're recognized as holy people in God's sight. Please, it is impossible to speak evil of another without losing your spirituality. Claiming great spirituality while denouncing the sin means that we're probably committing more sin than the very sin we're condemning in another. There's nothing in the whole Christian life more delicately dangerous than the condemnation of others. To rebuke another for sin requires more humility than any other duty. And it requires that we listen carefully to find out if in fact we know the truth. There's nothing more painful than to separate over lies. There's nothing more painful to the heart of Jesus 
than one brother or sister condemning another brother or sister based on our own prejudice and not on the truth and not on scripture when we sometimes hear people speak of they have to for the good of the church condemn Satan just laughs and it grieves the Holy Spirit how many precious souls have lost the sweetness of pure love they've lost the calm close walk with God by a sharp sword thrust and an unkind criticism a harsh judgment of of unloving condemnation self-righteousness is as subtle as the ether it runs up into the high altitude and it tries to insinuate itself into the highest state of not being afraid to denounce sin i heard one person speak to another and say that's rude what you're saying is so rude and it's wrong Well, in fact, what they were saying was extremely rude, and it was wrong, because they were condemning an innocent person who was being mistreated and misspoken of. But we seem to have practiced our game so long that we somehow stop caring about how much we judge but I want to tell you today one drop of satanic vinegar in the heart will cause the Spirit of God to depart from us and I must be honest with you there have been times when I have defended myself stoutly and defended those I love with great eloquence and what I said was right but what I said was wrong because Jesus is our defender and there is no room for satanic vinegar in our heart I wonder today, do you find satanic vinegar in your heart? Have you taken actions that have hurt the church? Have hurt the body of Christ? What are you going to do about that? Have you judged and condemned What are you going to do about that? You see, when spiritual decline begins to set in, 
there is a there's a discouragement that comes with it and we begin to focus on look things should be done decently and in order and what is meant is decency and order of the man's side and not the God's side. Many of you today have never seen a real demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. I have on just two occasions. I won't share those today. But once you have seen a visible demonstration of the Holy Spirit coming and causing a whole congregation to begin to weep before God and wail over their sin, you never forget it. And you don't want to ever lose it. When our spiritual truth becomes philosophical and theoretical and argumentative, We're walking in the flesh. Nothing so grieves my heart as to begin speaking with a brother or a sister and they turn into an attorney and begin to give their lawyerly arguments to justify their behavior. When the Holy Spirit comes and floods a person, truth begins to come like lightning bolts with square edges and sharp points. And there's no attempt to make peace with our decency and order, our philosophies and our theologies. But you see, when spiritual fervor begins to cool and die down, all that's left of the fire of the Holy Spirit is perhaps a, a small candle burning in the church. And most churches have even lost the candle. And now it's man-made religion. There is a, a tendency when we begin to grow cold, when we begin to walk in confusion and we have left the narrow path of light, we find we begin to argue a lot more than we pray. One of the signs that the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart is when we begin to pray and read the Word and cry aloud, with a heart broken for the lost and a heart broken for the church, a heart broken by our own sin and our own rebellion, our own independence, our own separation. When we begin to have an appetite for being right we're in trouble take the Bible hold it in your hands hold it midway between your heart and your head 
which does the Bible begin to gravitate to? Do you want to lift it up and find more information? And so you're going to search the scriptures so you can be better informed and more theologically correct? If so, that's an ill omen for your soul. You know you have backslidden. You know you are one of the five foolish virgins. On the contrary, if the Bible begins to lower to your stomach, it's a sign that you want to be hot with divine love because the Bible gravitates to your heart and you devour it for spiritual nourishment to be brought into the presence of God, to be judged, to be reprimanded, to be corrected, to be directed on the path, not of orthodoxy, but of grace. I don't want a philosophical religion. I don't want a self-righteous religion. I want a soul that is not lazy. You know, we all kind of gravitate toward idleness. This is much more true in the spiritual than in the temporal. But the Holy Spirit bids us Religion in season and out of season, rain or shine, hot or cold, whether circumstances are in our favor or whether circumstances are all against us. In my life right now, it seems that almost all the circumstances of my life are against me and against the National Prayer Chapel. Circumstances are very forbidding for this radio broadcast right now. But I'm not going to wait for some special impulse or some gush of my feelings to prompt me to do something good. I am going to obey the Holy Spirit and I'm going to go straight forward without turning to the right or to the left. It doesn't matter who approves or who disapproves. I'm going to go straight forward and call every man and every woman to do what I'm doing, to be on your face in the early hours of the morning, on your knees before Almighty God, laying on the carpet with your face buried, weeping and crying for the Holy Spirit to come in great power and great authority in the church. When holy love begins to weaken, we look for favorable circumstances. We don't want to talk to people too quickly about being converted to Christ. We want to just walk softly. We don't want to step boldly by pure faith. Our soul somehow watches for the River Jordan to subside before we step into it, for we're afraid we'll be swept away, we'll be shamed. I cannot afford to be lazily watching for favorable times or seasons. Holy love, 
not only seizes opportunities for doing good, but holy love makes the opportunity by obeying the Holy Spirit and stepping out boldly and refusing to give up. I'm not willing to give up. I'm not willing to do anything but persevere. I'm inclined to quit too early. I'm inclined in my spirit to give up my labors and my enterprise for good on this broadcast in the church. I'm inclined to give up, but I will not. I cannot afford a faith that is brittle and snaps under the strain of the burden. I'm not willing to stop doing radio just before something is going to be accomplished for God. I'm going to go forward until the last dime is spent and the last bit of energy is exhausted. I'm going to go forward by the grace of God in the power of the Spirit. Somehow I'm tempted to stop praying before I'm able to prevail with God. I'm inclined to allow bad weather and great opposition and lack of sympathizers. I'm inclined to let the absence of outward signs of success to cause me to dispirit, to lose my courage. But I know if I do that, I will grow angry with God for not allowing success in his work. See, these are all symptoms of leaning on the creature instead of drawing our inspiration directly from the sweet, eternal fountain of the Holy Ghost. When we lean on the creature, when we lean on our own understanding, the result is the dying of intimacy with Jesus. I'm not willing for that to happen in my life. I'm not willing to have a secret reserve with God. Often it's unconfessed in Christians. It's not even recognized, but there is a deep, subtle holding back from duty or service or love or growing conservatism to with God. There's a fear that that God may ask too much, that he wants us to give too much, too much money, too much time. The burden's too heavy. I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be sick. I'm not willing to walk that way. God wants me to serve him with utter abandonment to the Holy Spirit. He wants me to have a sweet, joyous, overflowing enthusiasm in his service, regardless of whether it's successful or not. Is there a a slow contracting of your spirit, a pinching of your forehead? That's all a sign that you're one of the five foolish virgins. We're almost out of time for this broadcast. I am depending on Jesus to move in your heart. Some of you can give very small sums and some very large sums. It's been some time since... We've had a gift of $5,000.
I've been praying and asking Jesus, would you move in someone's heart to give a gift of $5,000 for Pilgrim's Progress? I rejoice in the one who gives 20. One dear brother tapped on the donate page today from his cell phone and donated $20 to the National Prayer Chapel for Pilgrim's Progress from his cell phone. Thank you, brother. Some can only give a small amount, others large. If this broadcast calls you to Jesus, brings you into his presence, then I urge you give generously, hilariously, as God has blessed you. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, or you can just mail your gift to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. July is one of the hardest months of the year. July, August, September, those are the three death months for radio ministry. That's why I'm asking for a gift of 5,000 to just cover everything. To let us just focus on Jesus and use our prayer time for crying out for the Holy Spirit. My brother, my sister, I want you made alive in Jesus. I want you to cry out with me for the Holy Spirit for revival in America. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory.